On this edition of the Table of Content, we talk with Michael Steele, a volunteer contributor to We Are One Body Audio Theater. We'll talk with him about his background, his love of literature, and why he's involved with audio theater. And we will ask the all-important question, is this man of steel faster than a speeding bullet? Stay tuned. That's coming up next right here on the Table of Content. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Table of Content. I am your host, Albert Sines, and we have the joy of being with Michael Steele. Michael, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Albert, for having me. It's great to be here. So, Michael Steele, uh, I know you, obviously, through through work, through our friendship, uh, but there may be people that don't know who you are and they'd like to know, well, who's Michael Steele? Why is he involved with audio theater? So let me hand the mic over to you, and you can give our listeners a little bit of background on kind of where you come from and how you ended up where you are. Sure. Thank you, Albert. I appreciate that. Uh, So a little bit about myself. Um, I was born at a very young age. No. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, uh, let's see. No, so I was born in, uh, Southern California. I'm one of seven. Uh, there's one girl in the family. There's six boys. You know, my sister cried every time my mom came home from the hospital with another boy. (laughs) I I bet. I bet. So we, we were homeschooled and then at a fairly young age, I felt the call to discern a priestly vocation studied in the seminary for a number of years, even had the chance to study in Europe for a while in Rome. Uh, I did, did my undergraduate in philosophy in New York, and did my license in philosophy in uh, Rome, discerned that it wasn't my vocation, came back home, uh, I was working some odd jobs, met my wife, future wife-to-be, um, we were married in 2011 at St. Vincent Benedictine Basilica here in La Trobe, Pennsylvania. And we have been blessed with two children and one on the way. Like we are on standby. My wife is full term, 37 weeks. And, you know, every time she calls me on my cell phone, it's like, ah, is this it? <laughs> and then she <laughs> says, no, it, 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 it's not it. I needed something right. else. Right. Can you pick up some milk or something from the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the I understand. <laughs> right? <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> so we're sort of on that excited moment of pins and needles where we're waiting for baby to make his or her debut. So that's a little bit about myself. So uh, kind of a, a lot going on there from what I gather. So you're one of seven, uh, homeschooled. Uh, had an early call. You travel the world uh, in search of trying to discern what it is that God wants of you. You discern that um, you're not supposed to be a priest. You go home. You meet your now wife. You have kids on the way. You Southern California, Western Pennsylvania, and here you are now talking to me. But what I'd like to sort of uh, dig into is uh, sort of those earlier roots, and maybe homeschooling was a part of it, maybe it was just something inside of you, but for anyone who goes to the website and reads your bio, 
there is a mention of a love of literature, a love of learning. So let's start there. You love books, yes or no? Absolutely. So what is it? What is it about literature that engages you so much that you actually like love it? Well, sure. Well, going back to the roots, as you mentioned there, uh, I think it was really my second grade teacher who uh, inculcated this love of literature uh, in me as a as a young boy. I remember after lunch break every day she would read for like thirty minutes from some type of book and. Most what what sticks out in my mind most is her reading the Chronicles of Narnia, and those just captured my imagination as a, as a young boy. It's a you good know, series. Kind of... It's a very good series. Uh, thank you, C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And uh, it captured my imagination, and just sort of that opened up my 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 eyes to this you know other type of world of imagination. And then another thing that she would do is. She would offer, she, so Miss Smith was like the most amazing teacher in the world. Of course, you know, to a second grade you know, kid. <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. But she had this old cast iron bathtub in the classroom, like, you know, with the claws and everything yeah. on the floor. Yeah. And she had carpeted it on the inside and filled it with pillows and put it right next to a bookshelf. And the idea was if you aced a pretest, the spelling test. She would have like spelling tests on Thursday and then the real deal on Friday. If you ace the pretest on Thursday, you could spend the test time just lounging in the tub, browsing through books, you know? And so that was sort of as a kid, a, you know, huge motivation for me to try and, you know, remember these words and spell them. But And did you uh, ace the pretest every single time? <laughs> uh, not every single time, but yeah, it was it was kind of a big deal. <laughs> You know, I, I always tried to make sure I was prepared for it. But um, so that, I think, was the very first inkling of, of books. Now, keep in mind, this is 1980s, like early 1980s. There is no internet. There are no cell phones. So, you know, your your choices for leisurely activity in terms of entertainment are television, which, by the way, we didn't have. Mom and dad, uh, I think that, that I'm getting to that, but... That's another reason. Mom and dad never had a television. So if, if we wanted to entertain ourselves, it was pretty much books or play outside. So when you know mom and dad made the decision to homeschool, um, that was a big change in the family dynamic. It was a big change for me as well. You know, and I struggled with it for a few years. You know, friends would ask me, why don't you go to school anymore? And I'd be like, well, I'd make up these weird excuses like, well, I am going to school. And, you know, and, and we were, we, we used a particular curriculum, Seton Home Study. So it was, it was more like a correspondence school than it was, you know, strictly like coming up with your own curriculum. But there was a lot of reading and a lot of writing involved in that curriculum. So, uh, which was great. Cause I, I think I have a natural proclivity to read. I just, I love reading. And, uh, we also listened to a lot of audiobooks growing up. So I remember not just reading, but also we would go to the library and get these little cassettes, you know, with the old, you know, magnetic uh, tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember those. Right. So we would put those in and, and we'd listen to it. I remember listening to, as well, Chronicles of Narnia, audiobooks, The Lord of the Rings, um, The Hobbit, those type of audio uh, productions. And it sparked my imagination so much so. I read The Hobbit, 
read the Lord of the Rings myself and then read the Hobbit aloud to my family. It was one of my sort of warmest childhood memories is reading the Hobbit aloud to the family. I think I must have been about 12 or 13 or so. And we would, you know, sit down and in the evenings after dinner time, and we just read a chapter or two. And it was, it was a really nice family moment. But um, so coming to audio theater, well, it was, first of all, it was great just to know that audio theater existed. I, I sort of um, was introduced to the radio side of things and then discovered afterward, wow, there's this whole another branch of, uh, of production in audio theater. And so I've always appreciated good storytelling. And I feel that in terms of its cathartic value, that reordering of the emotions to what is truly good and, and, and what is truly noble, the reordering of the emotions to their proper object, uh, I feel that there's a real need uh, in for good storytelling that uh, that portrays good good values and and dis, and sort of disposes us emotionally to pursue the good and the heroic. You know, one of the things that I uh, emotions that I experienced growing up and reading the Lord of the Rings, for example, was I would frequently put down the book and just heave a sigh and just think, why isn't reality as exciting as this? Why can't my life be this epic adventure? Well, I guess it could have been. You could have just run off like Bilbo and said you're going on an adventure. <laughs> right. I'm going on barefoot and all, right? I'm all right. going on an adventure. Uh, it was only afterwards when I understood sort of the, the nature of good storytelling and writing that every good story is based on reality, is based on that human experience of that sort of cataclysmic struggle uh, that we have between good and evil. And uh, so when I was introduced to the audio theater um, and after I, I got over my fear of the microphone, it was just, it was great. You know, and, you know, and I'm looking forward to doing more. I, I haven't recorded a whole lot for the audio theater, but I'd like to um, be more actively involved well, let's let's take a few minutes here. Let's talk about one of your last recordings in, uh, specifically. Uh, you recorded a short story by John Watechko called uh, "The Faithful Acrobat," and mm. it's a telling of Saint John Bosco's life. Uh, and it's one of those kind of fun stories. You don't actually get the reveal until the end, um, but you hear about this young boy who was uh, an acrobat, but he also had a zeal for God and for trying to teach others about God. And uh, you, of course, uh, read the story uh, all by yourself, and you add in the uh, voices and characterizations. So mm. uh, tell me about uh, recording that story for audio theater. Sure. Well, first of all, I you know, the story itself is well-written, and John's a great writer. He, he brings out that, those dramatic tensions, you know, when uh, John Bosco is a boy and he's perceiving the call uh, to go deeper in his faith, and yet he has the very real circumstance of poverty. They just can't afford it. And then his whole dynamic and struggle with trying to come up with a solution. Well, I'll, just, I'll do odd jobs, I'll work, and then 
that's that's the 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 tying of that knot and the untying of that knot and then onto another knot the jealousy or the um the words escaping me the animosity of his brothers of not wanting him to do to do that and just sort of being hardened by their sort of uh agricultural life you know we're not meant to do anything higher on to how does he evangelize his peers how does he get kids to mass and he he happened to have a sort of a talent for acrobatics so he tightrope walks and he juggles and he 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 gathers their attention first and then he gives them a catechism lesson afterwards while he has their attention and then he has the encounter with the professional acrobat who wants to sort of crowd in on his act and then they have the the competition so yeah i don't want to give it all away but um you know john bosco is was an amazing person an amazing saint for working with the youth and responding to god now i, I don't want this particular episode to turn into a you know exposition on the life of saint john bosco but i'm just curious because of the life that you've led and you have St. John Bosco, who feels this calling and this tug to do something more, to serve God in a greater way. And so I just have to ask the question, in reading the story, could you relate to the life of St. John Bosco to a certain degree? Yes, I could. Uh, I'm no saint yet, but the idea of wanting to do something of transcendental and epic value uh, with my life, I think was really, on the emotional level, it was through the readings, especially Lord of the Rings. I, I really feel that emotionally, reading the Lord of the Rings predisposed me emotionally to try to at least hear uh, the call of God in my heart, but then also to have that desire to do something of, uh, of great value with my life. You know, uh, I think growing up there in, in Southern California, just that idea of going back to Lord of the Rings, gosh, why can't my life be as epic? And then looking around me and seeing sort of what everyone was pursuing in terms of happiness and sparked those those deeper questions in me of like, well, what is, you know, what what is my life all about? You know, and I figured there was also sort of a pragmatic calculation there. I figured that, okay, God, I'm going to give you the first shot at my life. And if it doesn't work out, then you can't hold it against me at the end of my life that I never gave you the first shot. So, you know, the mind of a whatever, 15, 16 year old. And so, but there was that definitely that desire to continue to follow the Lord and do, do what he wants. Yeah. So, and that sort of led me to discover the, the seminary and uh, how to, truly beautiful experience in the seminary, uh, getting to know Jesus Christ, not just the historical figure, but Jesus Christ himself. So through prayer, reflection, things like that. Sure, sure. So here's, here's, my, uh, here's my question, and this is where you can, you know, really kind of maybe break out the philosophy of my question. Um, so you, you listened to audiobooks as a, as a child, you believe in the greatness of literature, you, you love to read, you, you get involved with audio theater, you have sort of a chance to offer back what you received as a child. Mm. 
And do you feel or do you think that there is a real importance to this type of creative work? Do you think that the sort of radio drama or audio recordings, whether it's short stories or poems or something more episodic, do you think that when done well and with the right uh, motivation, do you think that this is a, this is an important medium? Absolutely. Hands down, absolutely. Uh, again, going back to the power of a story on our emotions, you know, a story can make us cry. It can make us, it can stir within us sort of those yearnings for heroism. Um, we all like a happy ending, um, but, you know, a sad ending as well also has its purpose or a tragedy as well also has its purpose, you know, but um, yes, and well done, right? It, it has a, a sway over us, whether we like it or not. And I feel like there's good storytelling and there's bad storytelling. Sure. So, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and I feel like a lot of contemporary storytelling is sort of poison covered by candy you know, or candy covered poison. You know, the ideas, the contents are not, they're not healthy. They're not worthwhile for our human spirit, our human nature. And yet the presentation is so snazzy and so uh, attractive and eye-catching and imaginative that we subscribe to the content without really criticizing mm -hmm. it or we, we take it at face value. Most so, definitely. I agree with you. you know. And, um, you know, there's a couple of uh, references, I think, that sort of, I think, back up my thinking on that. Um, the J.R. Tolkien wrote this beautiful work called Tree and Leaf on the purpose of fairy tales. And he coined this term called eucatastrophe from the Greek suffix eu, eu, meaning well or good, and catastrophe, which we all know is catastrophe is some uh, tragic event happening. And he says that every good fairy tale has that dynamic of a eucatastrophe. That means a greater good coming out of some type of tragic event, tragic happening. And so, uh, and he says, just as in reality, you know, the, the eucatastrophe for humanity was Adam and Eve sinning against God, destroying sort of his first plan for humanity, but then the God coming back and saying, well, all is not lost. I'm going to send you a redeemer, Jesus Christ, you know, so that's the good that came out of the tragedy of Adam and Eve. And then even in the life of Jesus Christ, the eucatastrophe there we can see is his being killed and dying on the cross, but then rising three days later in his glory and power. So, so that was J.R.R. Tolkien's Tree and Leaf. And then G.K. Uh, Chesterton in his Orthodoxy, chapter four, also uh, chapter four is entitled The Ethics of Elfland. And he also talks about that power of storytelling and, and the aspect of fairy tales where sort of an uncomprehensible reward rests on some irrational condition. You know, like for Cinderella, he, he says it happens to be that she has all these things, but she has to be back by midnight. You know, and that's sort of a dynamic with that we face in the Christian life as well in our lives. It's like we are promised this incomprehensible reward, and yet we have these seemingly uh, 
conditions that sort of grate against what we would rather do. You know, so, and so he brings that um, to light as well in his orthodoxies. Well, two excellent writers to reference, uh, from my opinion. Um, I think that they had great insight and also mm. just great writings. So someone who has great insight and then can sort of put that into a work of fiction or a work of prose or poetry, I think it's a great combination for a great end product and one that would continue to impact people decades later, if not here we are coming up on really a century later for someone like Chesterton. Right. What would the world be without The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings? Well, Peter Jackson wouldn't be as wealthy. Um, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. But yes, right. It, we, 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 would, we would have a, a loss. We wouldn't know it, but there would be a great loss without someone like Tolkien who wrote The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So yes, yeah. um, definitely a, an emptier world in as far as we, we would know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, Michael Steele, we've got we've to wrap this up. But as I said in the intro, I was going to ask, so we've got to know, are you faster than a speeding bullet? <laughs> I would like to think so, at least mentally, but uh, I'm afraid I'm not. Okay. Well, uh, as long as as long as you're faster than a small running child, uh, I guess yeah. you'll be you'll be okay. Uh, right. You can always <laughs> yeah. catch them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm. I've got a lot of practice doing that. So uh, we're 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 hoping to have you, Michael Steele, uh, do more for audio theater in the months and years to come. If you, as a listener, would like to hear some of the recordings of Michael Steele, head over to our website at waobaudiotheater.org and look in the contributor bios for Michael Steele. Learn a little bit more about his life and some of his recordings that he's done for us. Michael, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Albert. Yes, I'm looking forward to working more closely with uh, the audio theater and, and recording more in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so glad that you have tuned in for this episode of The Table of Content. Always a pleasure to have you listening, and we hope that you will tune in again next time. Until then, be good, stay safe, peace. Peace.